it was pivotal because when you go through your biggest fear and survive it somehow, you're no longer really scared of anything. And then two, I could be anything. And for the first time in my life, I even thought that I could be anything other than an actress. Remember, my entire life was singular track. And then three, the true resilience of like relying on myself that I would be okay and like go forth. I think that that was the moment where I truly learned that I can rely on myself. Chew on This is a show that explores the many facets of our professional lives. I'm your host, Danella, and in the spirit of my own journey, I've lined up guests to tackle the topic of transition from several angles. We've got curious questions of everyday go-getters to nuggets of wisdom from those who've walked the path and even expert advice to guide our way. Each episode will give you a taste of what it's like to embrace change, discover untapped potential, and thrive in the face of uncertainty. I'm sure that through these conversations, we'll not only shape our professional paths, but also enrich the essence of who we are. Get ready to be nourished with invaluable insights that will leave you inspired to create your own recipe for success. Stephanie Walmsley has been a TV show host, actress, and Oscar award-winning producer. And now she has a beauty and lifestyle brand called Prim Botanicals, which she runs from New York and has exploded across the United States through over 600 JCPenney stores. She's brilliant and buoyant, and her career journey is definitely one you should hear about. She's done a lot of reflection about what matters in life, and her transitions have changed the way she defines success. You're going to enjoy this one. So Steph, if I could ask you, if you could describe your career in one word, what would it be? Chaotic. I've actually been thinking a lot about entrepreneurship because I'm always asked to meet somebody that wants to start their own business. I was even asked to like, Um, talk to kids about it and stuff like that and so the first thing that I always say is like you're either cut out for this or you're not and if you are like I'm sorry because it's not this glamorous sexy thing (laughs) you know like it means that you probably don't really think very linearly Um, it means that you're you can take really big risks you just go on your gut and because of the risks like there's just there's so many ups and downs I feel like we all just like romanticize all the success stories of like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, I have my own business. But like, there's a lot to be said for not having your own business and helping build another one or whatever. Um, So ultimately, I would say my career is like entrepreneur, because whatever avenue I'm in, whether it's like a brand founder or working in production, or even when I had like a accessory line in college, it was still this idea of like, I'm going to make the job for myself. And I'm going to do this for me. That's how my dad was. I was raised that way. But also, like, that's, I think, just really inherent to me. Like, for instance, my husband is, there's not a single entrepreneur bone in his body, but he's successful in advertising. Like, anyone that works in finance, for instance, is not an entrepreneur. Unless they make their own business and make a startup. I think people equate it with success, but it's not. And so I think I'm just cursed. (laughs) This is the way my my brain works, if that makes sense. Well, how do you define success? I think when you're younger, success is money. I think it's what you leave behind. A lot of the wealthiest people that I've come across, unfortunately, like when they've died, their children are not speaking, their family is warring. Maybe publicly, they have a lot of success and accolades, but privately, it's just sort of a mess. You know, my dad had had like a whole reversal of wealth within my lifetime. 
he himself had several because he was born in like a poor immigrant family, made a lot of money. And then after like the Asian economic crisis, like lost a lot of money. But by then he had already started the Down Syndrome Association of the Philippines. So even though like he died with less money than he had had in, let's say, decades, I still can't go anywhere in the Philippines without being recognized by like a family of somebody with Down Syndrome. And they come up to me and they thank me and they cry. I mean, it started in my living room. My dad started that. So like to me, that's success. He's left that legacy. It's what we leave behind, how we're ultimately remembered, and that's what defines success. And then I think beyond that, like living in a way of life that's very truthful. I've, I've been thinking about what is success so much lately. When I worked in finance, I worked as an assistant for like literally some of the wealthiest men, um, which if you're like a wealthy man in New York, you're like, extremely extremely wealthy <laughs> and they they're always looking at someone else like of, of who has more money and they all started with like a number that they would like quit at and they could all retire 50 times over and they don't stop because it's like you're chasing whatever else and so i've always always wondered like are they living a more successful life than like let's say a fisherman in the provincia i don't know like i'm not trying to be so idealistic it's just like i really don't know like these are men that are never home don't see their families, work a million hours a day, shit ton of money, are they more successful than like a fisherman with like a really close-knit family that lives off the land? I don't know the answer, but I think about this all the time. Well, for yourself, how's it going with Prim? So the last time we spoke, and I honestly can't remember when that was, you were just about to get into the department stores. I mean, not even, yes. right? Yeah. So this, yeah. So now we're in 609 stores for JCPenney, <gasps> which is crazy. I know. But okay, so here's another thing. It's like, I, I was so nervous about this because it was another growth stage. And I think this is really important for anyone wanting to start a business to learn. Every time you go up to a growth stage, your risk of failure increases exponentially. When I started this in my kitchen <laughs> with like no money with a partner, um, my risk of failure was very, very low because what we put in like three grand. Now with this tremendous growth and you're taking out, in my case, loans and debt because it's all self-funded, the risk increases. And so what's happening now is like we're very dependent upon JCPenney. It hasn't even been a year yet. Um, so the sales are not what they expect it to be yet. So like, even as an experiment, this isn't even a year old. So I need to wait till next year. But it's been challenging in the sense that like you have unexpected forecast and whatever else. And when it's not hit, which is what we're going through right now, it can become really stressful. So I mean, eventually, they will reorder and eventually, you know, we'll do all that stuff. But it's really challenging. A lot of this is where most a lot of companies fold. I could not understand that before when my colleagues would get into like Target, Whole Foods, Ulta, Sephora, and then they'd have like no money in two years. Like the amount that's required to play at this level is ridiculous. You have to do sample programs, travel to stores, like education, give free, everything's free. Plus they keep 60% of what, what you make and you pay for shipping. So it's like your margins have to be perfect. I don't know. It's a long way of saying like it sounds great. And right now I'm in a place where I'm trying to figure out how to use the fact that I'm in 600 plus stores to my advantage. But like the way that my brain already works is like, 
okay, Prim's like on autopilot now, essentially. I can't even, if I'm like to launch a new product, for instance, before I could just do like a small batch, whatever. Now I have to see like, is this something that we could get on all the shelves? Like, I'd have to like spend so much money for every single thing. So of course, my solution to the problem is launching two new brands. Aha. Yeah. <laughs> what brands did you launch? It's called Santo. And this one I'm super excited about. Uh, it's like home sense, but there's like a ceramic dish with beads and like crystals. And it's like, it's ritual based body and home care. So there's like what you would use it before, like meditation or working out or sleeping or whatever, with the idea being that like beauty and wellness is so saturated right now. And because it's so saturated, people are still very hungry for simplicity. So the idea is like you use these scents before you do XYZ. And then the other one is a body care line, but it just looks very different than Prim. It's like more like an Aesop or Necessaire, like very minimal, mature. Because Prim right now is just, I love it. But I think when it grows that much, it takes on a life of its own. And then the money part is, I mean, real talk, like it's stressful because whatever you make at this point has to go back in to keep fueling the machine until you get to a point where there's a big jump in income or you literally lose the whole company. Um, it's a crazy, it's a crazy place to be in. Who do you talk to about this stuff? Well, one, it's really nice to commiserate with the other brand founders, but otherwise like I, I do pay a, a, these two women that are consultants in the space. They've been doing it forever uh, to help me with like the guidance. And then I talked to my brother-in-law is a hugely successful self-made entrepreneur. And again, like he's in a completely different industry, but it doesn't matter because it's, it's his own business that he started. And so it's all transferable, like Mind's Beauty products is his gigantic machinery. But it's all the same thing. And he was the one that always explained to me that when you hit the growth stage, year zero, this is a new business. Everything's new. It's not the same thing that started in my kitchen. So I try to talk to people that have just been doing it for longer. And I asked him, I was like, so when do you stop worrying? He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, but you've made it. And he's arguably really, really made it. And he's like, I worry every day. I hustle every day. I was like, what? <laughs> um, I met somebody who, when I met her, she's also a beauty founder. We were bonding at an event about stress about money. And she was like, yeah, I lose sleep every night about money come to find out that by the time I had met her, she had already been on Shark Tank and gotten a deal and had tons of investors. And she made like 2 million in like six months in sales or something, but she's losing sleep about money. So I think this is a really important thing to share because I'm not trying to be like doomsday, but it's like realistic. That just means like she's able to spend more, you know, for like more marketing, more customer acquisition, more product development. It doesn't mean like there's more earning. Yeah. Well, okay. What were your goals? I mean, I understand like you, this drive to kind of use your creativity and, and do your own thing, but what are your goals? I've actually thought about for the first time, like, do I go back to like a job? Can I do that? Like meeting, working for somebody else. Do I work for another company and just do like product stuff for them or marketing or whatever? I will say this is, again, of course, my answer is always going on tangent, but I think we need to stop asking kids what they want to be when they grow up. And I think we need to stop pressuring kids and teens by the time they graduate high school to know what they want to be. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to stop 
pressuring the idea of a singular path. And I say this as someone who wanted to act since I was like six years old and this was all I ever did and this was my identity. But I think it's for, for any kids. It's like, I'm going to be a doctor, 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 doctor. And by the time they get to med school, they haven't, one, been able to think if they even want to be a doctor, or two, they're probably already so burnt out. And three, don't think that they have any options because they're going to be a doctor. And so in my case, it was acting. It was years ago when my dad died, and that's also when I decided to switch from acting. But it's like, because I had one singular goal from the time that I was like five or six to like 25, like 20 years of my life, Anything I did after that was just, well, I'm not doing my calling, if that makes sense. So even when I got into like TV and film and I like, got into producing and like, okay, produced a film that won an Oscar, it was still like, but I'm not making it as an actress. This oh. is still not, this, I just fell into this. And then when I got into beauty, it was like, oh, this is because I quit producing and I've like not I decided not to do that so I'm just gonna fall into beauty and I've talked to other people that have had these like singular goals like I'm gonna be a musician I'm gonna be a whatever and then their life path changes and no matter what you do and what success you achieve in quote-unquote success you achieve in that other life path it still feels like you're like imposter you know like you're like cosplaying I don't know it's so hard to explain but that's how it feels and I feel like this is that's, this is why with my own son, I'm like, you can be a million different things. Like, you can change your mind. Like, you can study one thing in college and want to do another thing. You can also, like, P.S., like, have a regular day job just to make money and then have a passion thing at night or on the weekend. It's so funny, like, how insecurities work because on paper, I had achieved, like, enough sort of success with acting before I decided to quit and then definitely on paper I achieved success with producing and then like launching my own beauty brand but to me this has just always been an insecurity of working so linearly and like jumping from industry to industry but then ultimately it's what you said it's like I think I'm just here to create but now I think I just I'm I'm in this era in my early 40s my son's finally old enough, he's five and a half, where I'm like, I really just want to create and like, I want a softer life. And I realize it's like a privileged thing to say, I want to start these new brands because then it's like tactile. Like for me, it's really that something doesn't exist and then thanks to me and whatever energy I put into it, now it exists. That's <laughs> a long way of saying like, just in the whole journey, I, I now just want to create things. Can you tell us? about a pivotal moment, big or small, in your life and what happened? What did you make of it? I think my dad dying, I mean, I just kind of touched on that because my dad was like my biggest fan. The night before he died was like opening night of my play. It was the biggest play that I had done in New York at the time. Um, There's like Broadway, off-Broadway, and this was off-off-Broadway, which is actually a big deal. So I had the lead. I was like written up in New York Magazine, Time Out, Village Voice. Long story there, like I quit the play because he was in a coma. When he woke up from the coma, he's like, what are you doing here? I was like, I quit the play. He's like, no, go back to New York. I was like, I can't fly back and forth if you take a turn for the worst. And he's like, no, you have to go back. And so he held on until I until it was too late. It was the night before opening. But I did like a two and a half week run and that just took it out of me so much. And I realized at that point I enjoyed acting, but as like a choice profession it was just way too difficult it's like just too much luck involved and so I decided to quit losing my dad was my biggest fear in life he was like my rock and my center and truly just my biggest fear like aside from him being my closest person it was just my biggest fear and I remember him telling me when he was dying already that he had 
done everything he could to get me to the place where it was now up to me to live my life and like take all his lessons and like go forth and that he had faith in me. It was pivotal because when you go through your biggest fear and survive it somehow, you're no longer really scared of anything. So, and then two, like what I said earlier, I could be anything. And for the first time in my life, I even thought that I could be anything other than an actress. Remember, my entire life was singular track. And then three, the true resilience of like relying on myself that I would be okay and like go forth, not turn to like drugs and throw my life away. So I think that that was the moment where I truly learned that I can rely on myself. So I think it's no mystery that I left acting to get into producing because that gives you a lot of control. If you don't have to wait for someone to cast you in a show, you literally produce the show. I don't have to wait for a beauty company to hire me. I'll make my own. I, I think like any death, of course, especially with somebody as close to you as like a father or anything like that, will be pivotal in a sense. But because of my relationship with him, because he was such an entrepreneur, because of like the floor literally coming out from underneath me, since then, I've been intensely self-reliant to the point that it's, a negative, like something I work on in therapy is like, ask for help, rely on people. This is okay to do. Even with my own husband, I'm like, no, <laughs> like I'm psycho. But yeah, so I think it would be losing him and then like the lessons that came after. Does your husband call you out when he knows you need help and you do not ask for it? It's an ongoing challenge. We've been together, it'll be 10 years next year, and we've been friends for 26 years. What happened was I really needed help, and I didn't know how to say it. And at this point, he was so used to like me being like, go away. So I like lose my shit, and I'm like, you're not helping me. And he was like, oh my God, I can't help you because you never <laughs> let me. I'm like, no one helps me ever. And he's like, okay. So he, he sat me down and like, and then I had to like teach him how to help me um, because we're both like pragmatic. We're very different, but the one thing in common is we're both like pragmatic quantitative thinkers. So he's like trying to help me with like a bullet point and I'm like, no, just hug me and tell me I'm beautiful. And he's like, <laughs> okay, it's <laughs> all the help I need. He's like, I can do that. So now that's the help that I get, <laughs> that I ask for. Like, how do you catch yourself if you start spiraling? I am on new anxiety medicine, which I feel like we need to destigmatize. It's called Boostpharm, Boostpar or something. And it's like, it's the only meds that are just for anxiety. They don't also treat depression. I didn't know this existed. It's pretty new. So like a Lexapro or a whatever else, if it also treats depression, you can feel really tired. It can like alter your state. Um, this is a twice daily pill, but it's specifically designed for ruminating thoughts and like those cycles of thoughts that I've always had a problem with my whole life. Like you don't feel tired or whatever. You just, when it, like my brain got quiet and I was like, is this what a normal person's brain is like? Like the first time my brain was quiet since I was a child. Um, so I, I'm telling you this because it's like, I could say like I meditate, which I do. I work out, I journal, I do all that. But okay, so I think a lot of, again, entrepreneurs are people that, that we're all a little bit mad in some way and the funny thing is when the meds were working it became really hard for me to find motivation 
to work or to like, not just work, but like that extra step because my anxiety, like my rumination was gone, which my anxiety has been my, my buddy at this point. Cause I'm so therapized and then it wasn't there. And I'm suddenly able to tell myself like, it's okay. It, it's okay. If we don't get this done today, it's so weird. Like taking medication to help with my brain overthinking has made me reevaluate my entire day, how I structure what I do for work, how I am at work. <laughs> like, I was so manic. And now I'm just like, okay, if we don't have to do it today, we don't have to do it today. I am so surprised with myself. This is not me. I'm like a pure, I've always been like, I think type A by, because I have all these thoughts and like, I won't sleep until I get things done. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Well, what advice would you have for women who want to explore something new? Oh my God, please do it. It depends on like where you are in life. So if you are uh, wanting to start something new and you're also wanting to have a child, um, I would say try to start the new thing as far away from like getting pregnant and having a child as possible. Um, just because having the child takes up so much of your time. But that's not to say that like your life will end. I hate that narrative. I feel like my son is five and a half. And even since he turned like four, I've been able to get so much of my life back. And it's okay to like shelf something for a while. So I think my number one advice that I always tell anyone is that the first step to doing anything new is to tell people that you're going to do something new so that you're held accountable. Tell as many people as possible, post about it, which if that feels scary, then do it. Like, guys, I'm going to start this new idea. What do you think? You can do a poll. Start it off as a hobby with no pressure. I'm not saying like you can't start something with a young child or pregnant. I'm just saying it's much harder. That's okay. Because again, you can shelf it. But if, if you're at a position where it's transitional, maybe you're in a new country or city or a new job or you've gotten like divorced or whatever, if you're just in a place where you might need help, then ask for help. In, maybe it might be in the form of a partnership. Find a friend that maybe you need a partner um, to start this new thing with if it's going to be a business venture. Because again, it's all about accountability when you start, especially if you have another person who's like complimentary, maybe mm. you do different things or whatever. I think that's a really good way to go about it. And then just act first and think later. I have so many friends with the most amazing Ivy League educations. They all went like these MBAs, whatever. And they all told me that they have analysis paralysis. Like they, they all want to start something new, but before they even start, there's a million limitations to any expectations, right? They haven't even started and they're like, well, these are all the ways that we can fail in Q1, Q2. And I'm like, act now and think later. I think, and okay, not to get so whatever gendered on this, but I honestly, God, think that this is why a lot of men end up becoming more successful or like you see more entrepreneurs or you see more, aside from the fact that like they don't have to deal with giving birth. But I think most men, I, I don't know if this is controversial, will do first and ask questions later. They will say, yeah, I, I can do this. And then they'll figure it out. Women, we like to like, look at the situation, research it, see all the different options, where it might go wrong. And then we say, you know what, I think I can take this on. Meanwhile, the man is already halfway through and maybe making mistakes, but he's doing it. So I think think like a man, jump in, be overconfident, think you know more than you do, <laughs> then you'll be okay. Stephanie for a long time. 
but this was the first time I heard some of her stories, and I appreciate how candid she was about the pivotal moments in her life. I'd love to hear from you about the conscious choices you've made after your pivotal moments. Feel free to drop me a note and share. Till the next time. Hungry for more? Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a star-studded review on your go-to podcast platform. Not only does your feedback light up my day, but it also helps other voracious listeners find their way here. Want to feel the fire behind you on this? Show your love by treating me to an espresso or two over at buymeacoffee.com slash thesecretsaucelab. Every sip counts. Got a sizzling topic idea? Dreaming of a guest you'd love to hear from? Or maybe you just want to sprinkle in some kind words. I'm all ears. Connect with me at, at the Secret Sauce Lab across all social platforms. Chew on This is a production of The Secret Sauce. Ripple Creatives is the technical producer of the show. I'm Danella, your host. Thanks for listening and see you next time.